Goodbye, Brandon Staley. Hello, Props and Hops audience. After a mind-numbing first half in Las Vegas, this is an ideal time to shift the focus to the rest of Week 15 in the NFL and well beyond this week's betting board. Here to do just that with us, professional better Joey Isaacs. Joey is a rare pro better who's also a very well-rounded person. I feel fortunate to consider him a friend, and you can follow him on the platform formerly known as Twitter, at Joey Isaacs. That's Joey I-S-A-K-S. Joey, great to see you. Welcome back to Props and Hops. It's good to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you for the diversion from whatever the Chargers are calling (laughs) their effort in Las Vegas tonight. And before we dig in, I'll give a shout out to the audience that's live with us on YouTube and Twitter. Feel free to jump in the comments at any point throughout the conversation, and we will weave that into the show when possible. And on that note, a lot of you who follow Joey on Twitter have already weighed in, so we can warm up Joey with a few questions on a variety of topics, and then we'll get to the NFL Week 15 slate. First up, I think the number one topic that came up in your thread and throughout much of Gambling Twitter this week, Circa Survivor. We got a couple of questions there, one of them from Jeffrey Benson, who's Circa's director of operations. He asked about your thoughts on Survivor Chopgate and then Abnormally Distributed. (laughs) <laughs> if you were married to someone in the circus survivor and they chopped, would you divorce them due to losing respect for them? Now, for some context here, circus survivor is the biggest survivor pool in the world. It's a $1,000 entry fee. And per Jeffrey Benson, we started the season with 9,267 entries. Do some basic math. And we're looking at a winner take all prize of $9,267,000. Only 13 contestants still standing. The average implied value per entry at this stage, $712,846. So, Joey, I know Gambling Twitter has been ablaze this week with takes on if or how the remaining contestants should split the pot or continue to play on, perhaps. What do you make of the whole situation? Honestly, is I've been reading everything about it, and it's such, it's such an individual question, and I don't think there is a right answer because of the life-changing amount of money that we're looking at. I don't think that everything needs to be, hey, this is the right mathematical decision because it's, this, is, this also needs to become in question, this is the right life decision. And you can get, make a bad math decision and take maybe 1.1 million chop when you know the math would say, hey, my EV is 1.3 million. So that's, I think it's so unique and I don't think we'll ever see a more unique scenario, but I think that people need to be less obsessed with other people and just let them make the decision that they want. I love the way you wrap that up. I think of a line from James Clear who wrote my first pandemic read, Atomic Habits. I don't remember if it was in that book or in his email newsletter at 321 Thursday, which I highly recommend to people across all walks of life. But he had a quote, most things are not worth having an opinion about. And I mentioned that from time to time on this show, knowing that it's not the hot take people might want. It's not going to get me the most views or downloads. But I feel like you said, this is an individual choice. And unless you're one of those 13 people, how much of your mental energy is that really worth? At the same time, I get it. This is a fascinating topic. And with the amount of money involved and all the different dynamics in play, it's really fun to think about as long as we're not getting too worked up about it. Yeah. And I do feel like all else equal. I mean, chop the pot. This is life-changing money. But digging beneath the surface, all else isn't equal here. I mean, it depends on who has what teams right. left. And an even chop doesn't mean the same amount of take-home pay for every player, depending on taxes, which state they might happen to live in. And I know some contestants also probably have some equity they've sold to partners to advise them. 
So we're talking about even more than 13 variables in this conversation to decide what to do. Overall, it might be too complicated to get a unanimous consensus on how to chop things in a way that everybody considers fair. But for some reasons you outlined, a fascinating topic nonetheless. And totally. beyond that, maybe not worth emphasizing too much. Uh, jump back yeah, in. One thing is that, I mean, I don't think Circa by their rules is allowed to chop. So you're going to have to be dealing with lawyers and they're only going to pay the winner. So then the winner is going to be responsible and it's going to be like an honor agreement. And maybe he'll say, he'll get, he'll get the big check for 9 million be like, you know what? I'm not paying you your part or he'll delay or he'll, there's going to be lawyers involved. It's going to get ugly if you chop. Um, so you, this might be a, one of those weird scenarios where you might be better off taking that circuit credit. I'm sure Jeff Benson will love that because <laughs> he keeps hyping it. <laughs> good for good for them. Uh, you know, they're putting on this big contest. Go give go give a little money back to them. But yeah, I mean, end of the day, you know, if my wife wanted to to chop and and say, you know what, let's take three million instead of going for six, I think that's fine. Something. Yeah, absolutely. And and one more thought to tie bow around this topic. I think I saw from Spanky today on Twitter, just kind of to your point, a great job by Circa just to put this on. It seems to be all anybody in gambling Twitter wants yeah. to talk about right now. And that alone gives them so much value. I'll leave it to people with a higher pay grade than myself to try to quantify, you know, the marketing or PR value that they're getting out of all of this. But it it's a fascinating topic. And um, I, I wish everybody the best of luck moving forward. One thing I don't envy is the agonizing decision making process for 12 people who probably won't win, who are still trying to decide frantically what to do in the current moment. But Joey, moving right along here, we also got a few questions about yeah. betting in the unregulated market. And I'll lead off with one that came in from friend of the show, Hitman. He asked what your favorite PPH skin would be. And I would like to lead off first with some context. If you could just speak to PPH and skins in general, what, what that really means for any newer sure. bettors who might not be totally familiar with that terminology. And then we can get into answering Hitman's question more directly. Yeah, sure. So PPH stands for a uh, paperhead. So basically anyone with an internet connection can become a bookie uh, if they pay a website, depending on how, you know, how good of a deal they want to get, uh, you know, $10, $8, you know, if they have a bigger sheet, maybe they can negotiate $6. <laughs> That's getting a little advanced. But yeah, so so anyone can pay per head. That's what it calls. So you're paying per person. And uh yeah, the best one to me is uh, it's called a uh, Gotham or Jazz or, uh, and then you're dealing. There's also a skin that copies it, uh, Trade Winds, where it's not paperhead, so the uh, back end does take a percent, which is very rare. Um, and they copy Heritage offshore. So if you've ever played on Heritage, it's pretty much identical to that. Cool. And, and so to, to make the connection here, it's probably crystal clear to many listeners, but check me on this if I'm not explaining it perfectly for anybody who's unfamiliar. Uh, a skin would basically be an interface, in this case, mirroring what the more prominent offshore heritage sportsbook offers, but you're not playing through a heritage account. You can be playing through different websites that are basically getting at the same endpoint. Yeah, totally. You're, play you're playing, you're usually on a weekly credit uh, and settling through, you know, payment apps or crypto or every Monday. Sometimes they're every Tuesday if they want to count Monday Night Football. So, yeah, it's usually through credit and a bookie is the difference. All right. And staying in a similar lane here, we got a question from Dan asking, how to wordsmith a text to an agent 
who turned on a Buckeye timer for using a bot and asking to turn it off. Once again, I, I think that some people will completely understand what this question is getting at and can painfully relate for others. That might seem like we might not even be speaking English with that question. So if you could give it a little bit of context first and then share any advice you might have for Dan in this type of situation. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're dealing, if, if there's two, there's two scenarios here, like one, you're completely innocent and you maybe got bad luck by playing like a hitman release or a uh, ETR release and you really aren't using a bot. Um, I would probably just come clean and be like, look, this is who I'm following. I'm playing at the exact same time as people who maybe are using a bot and I will not play on you guys this again. That's, that's something you can just say, but more likely if they did catch you, let's just say, yeah, it's Buckeye. If they did catch you. Uh, you should probably just play dumb and offer to, I, I always offer to text the bets in be like, Hey, I'll just text you uh, what I'll play. And you'll see that I'm not using a bot. I'll input it the exact same second, things like that. Um, if you are using a bot or if it's not you, you handed the count off and the person that you gave it to is uh, just turn it off and just play yourself. If, if the if you still can but you're pretty much dead at that point a lot of the time i really appreciate the creative approach to try to get off of life support in a situation <laughs> like that and i think yeah. that leads into the last question we'll cover off on here before we get into nfl week 15 casey young asking on a related note any tips on account longevity so i would be curious for your thoughts yeah. on one hand, looking to make hay while the sun shines. If you know accounts are going to get shut down, just try to hammer bad lines where you can and make what you can while you can. And on the other hand, I've heard of some betters trying to be savvy and maybe groom their accounts and going slow and easy to try to extend the lifespan of their accounts. I think of the saying, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. Joey, when it gets to that kind of continuum, where do you net out on your best practices for extending account longevity? Yeah, so account, this is a great question because I think this is like probably yeah, the longer you can keep an account, the, the more you're going to win. Uh, this is really how you can make a lot of money. And so, you know, if you are dealing with PPH sites, you know, like let's say Gotham or iBet or even Buckeye, uh, I think for account longevity, if you are like, I'm just assuming you're playing sharp because you're worried about this. So I would say play less steam and more let's just say off-market stuff on those sites because they don't look and they don't steam so i would say like avoid college basketball avoid playing overnight college basketball that moves anything that moves or is like widely played by groups you're probably gonna be fine uh vary your bet size don't just play everything for the max or everything for an exact same amount of money um I don't even think you need to throw in parlays or those things, but if you want to, sure. But yeah, I just think, and then if you are going to give an account to like a, a group, which is great, I think everyone should probably like before you do that, um, play yourself, but play, play similar. Uh, like if you're going to give, if you're going to give me, let's say me account, like don't play $10 every just play. Just picking a random person, giving Joey an just account. Just give me an account. I mean, don't, don't spend your first week before being like, I'll warm this up and play $10 a play and then be like, Hey, go play 500. Give it to me and say, go play 500. Uh, so play, play similar stuff that the group that you're giving to would play um, similar account, similar amounts and see, and you know, so it looks similar and uh, that's probably your best chance. 
All right. Well, a fun wide ranging Q and A to kick things off here. Oh, go for it. Willie Walters chat has a chapter about he he would even uh, play the same time, the same uh, if the guy played overs and he took over the account, he would only play overs. So there are, I mean, that guy is next level in terms of that. And that's a great chapter to read. I, I found the book not the best, but that chapter was very fascinating. I wish more of it was about that and less about his golf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, for people listening to this conversation who haven't yet read Gambler, at least one, if not several chapters in there that could be of value as a follow-up to this conversation. And we will get back to more Q&A later. But Joey, right now, it might be a good time to dive into week 15 in the NFL as the Chargers yeah. and Raiders are out of halftime. Still only 42 to nothing. The Raiders have not scored in the first two minutes of the third quarter. So nice moral <laughs> victory for the Chargers coming out of the locker room here. Joey, looking at the rest of the week 15 slate, what would you identify as one side or total that might be intriguing you at this stage of the week? Sure. Um, so just a, a, a clearance, I'm not a huge NFL better, but mm. for today's sake, I am. Uh <laughs> We can go Thank you to, for the uh, transparency. Yes. Yeah, of course. I There is a total that I did play, uh, and it's the under in Green Bay. Got it. Current line looks under, to be 42 and a half. Yeah, I played under 43. Um, and I played it for someone, uh, but it is, the, it is the biggest play that I played this week. Uh, yeah, there we go. Under 43. I'm more of a prop person in NBA, so... Yes, and we will get into your wheelhouse when it comes to that. With regard to this line, I'm thinking, I, I don't do a ton of totals myself, so I don't want to have the deaf leading the blind here. Um, you certainly know more about this wager than I do. If we're looking at 42 and a half right now, I've even seen some 42s. 43 might not come back. If somebody hears you and, and understands this was the biggest play you've made so far this week, would you still consider it valuable at 42 and a half? Sure. I think so. I'm not a I'm not a huge stickler in like hey you know if someone wants to play under 42 because I played under 43 I think it's a better play than just guessing something random, probably. Uh, so yeah, I mean don't buy a point, don't play like it to like minus 150 like that Zilbert guy does I see, but yeah I don't think there's a huge issue in terms of uh, you know taking a little less of a bad number sometimes. Um, and we have a comment in the chat that might play into this handicap a bit. Dan Rivera jumping in. Dan, thanks for joining us live once again. believe Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Watson all about to be out for the Packers. Joey, did this factor into the wager at all to, to try to get a good number? Understanding it might not be the best of the number at 42 yeah. and a half, but to maybe get in before the total perhaps drops even further. Yeah, it did. And, you know, I actually, I actually kind of think Taylor is a little better than uh, Dillon. Dillon's kind of like not terrible for unders because he's like a three yards, four yards. He kind of wears, you know, wears them out while like Taylor can be more of a home run guy, which, you know, is never great when you have an under and he can score on one play. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Packers are thin and their defense right, well, is I think I was a bit late to come around on the Packers, and then I finally got yeah. some exposure on them last yeah. week. So uh, maybe that backfired. I cannot fault a, a look uh, against them or Tampa Bay producing too many fireworks on the scoreboard come this weekend. And Joey, I'm going to run a side by you here. Okay. Buffalo minus two hosting Dallas. 
to be honest, my first thought on this game was the Cowboys are the clear better team. Buffalo's home field advantage and desperation in this spot are priced in and then some. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure that Buffalo would be favored if Kadarius Tony lines up correctly. <laughs> so that said, I've learned, especially this season, my individual opinion, certainly not foolproof. And I often turn to curation as my form of creation, looking for some consensus among sharp betters whose opinions I respect and who I think take different approaches to reach the same outcome. That really seems to identify some signal within my approach. And when it comes to this game, Cleve TA on forward progress, very high on Buffalo and yeah. Steve Fezzik, very high on Buffalo as he articulated on the bet us NFL show, as well as the dream preview podcast. I will note the number that they've referenced is bounced around between one and a half to two and a half over the course of the week. Currently the consensus is too. And I think that there's nothing wrong with, to your point, not splitting hairs too much here. Um, at the consensus of two, I can still consider it a go with Buffalo, considering the handicap that these guys presented. For TA, a lot of it was driven by Dallas's perception being inflated right now, coming off of three straight home games. And their last road game was at Carolina. So how much of a test was that really? And the Cowboys defense hasn't been dominating as much as the scoreboard might indicate, but they've been getting some good fortune from turnovers. In this case, there could be some solid edges in play for the Buffalo offense. Overall, a magic carpet ride of easy pass defenses and friendly confines for the Cowboys lately, a step up in class this week. Similar points made by Steve Bezik, who also noted that the weather, not expected to be brutal here, but it could present a bit of a shock to the Cowboys system coming from Texas and a, a kind of different climate here. Yeah. Overall, I think that when TA and Fezzik feel that strongly, it's hard for me to look to go the other way. Any thoughts from your standpoint, Joey, on Buffalo to do little more than win outright, hosting the Cowboys in perhaps the most intriguing game on the board for Week 15? Yeah, it should be a great game. I, I actually do agree with everything you said. I mean, Dallas is a different team indoors versus, you know, it's not going to be, it's going to be cold in Buffalo. I can only, I don't have the weather report, but it's not, it's, it's December. We're, we're looking at cold and, and, and I think Buffalo is a team that has improved actually a lot since, you know, that, that game versus at least versus New England, where I remember watching that game versus New England because I had them in teasers and being like, they are not very good. And, and they've gotten better every week. You know, Diggs is, I don't think as good as, he was last year and the year before, but they're starting to like use their pieces better. Cooks, you know, Cooks getting some receptions and being used better. Just, I think that's more of a play on Dallas, just being on the, like on the road off a big divisional game. It's, it's all the pieces that you, you look for uh, to be like, I hate to use the word letdown spot and everything, but yeah, I could see Dallas kind of coming in and not playing their best game. All right. Well, speaking of letdown spots, it is now 49 to nothing Raiders still more than 10 minutes to go in the third quarter. So we'll see if Brandon Staley is the Lane Kiffin 2.0 of not making it off the tarmac once the team lands back in Los Angeles. But moving um, right along with this week's show, yeah, keeping I'm, a forward looking sense. Oh, go for it. I'm super excited to see how what that would the Chargers do offensively this this half, like if they just go. <laughs> You know, maybe they go away from Easton Stick. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Max Duggan play. You know, he's can't get worse. Can't. I mean, I don't, yeah, Stick's not the guy. He was not the guy versus Denver. But yeah, maybe they go to Eckler. Maybe they don't. I really do need them to go to Eckler. So I am going to be watching it uh, with some some uh, side eye. <laughs> 
All right. Well, I will understand if I need to reel you back in a bit yeah, here. But for you. now, after after the Raiders put up their seventh touchdown in just over one half of play, let's talk some teasers on the Week okay. 15 slate. I'm seeing three fits on the board right now. If we're looking at that classic advantage model of crossing through the key numbers of three and seven, Pittsburgh can be taken up to plus seven and a half at Indianapolis on Saturday. Dallas can be taken up to plus eight at Buffalo. And Kansas City, seeing a little bit of steam recently, but can still be taken down to minus two at New England on Sunday night football. Joey, between those three, or perhaps anything a bit outside the box, we don't have to color within the lines when we're talking about the standard teaser rules on this show. Any thoughts on your end about anything that might offer some teaser appeal for Week 15? Sure. Um, I actually... I. That's a tough one because I don't, I wouldn't tease honestly myself until Sunday morning. Um, and I personally wouldn't tease um, Steelers. The total is a little too high for me, but you're looking 40, what is it, 43, 44? Yeah, for the Pittsburgh Indianapolis total, current consensus looks to be 42. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally like to tease um, teams at home, which you don't really have many options this week to do. And um, but I I don't I don't mind teasing the Saints. I really like the Saints this week in general. Um, and you're looking to tease them to about pick them, maybe you know the, I I could see it going to six and a half. So you're looking. At, I think that's a good option. I, I think the Chiefs aren't a bad option. Um, and then maybe maybe you'll get – I can't imagine you'll get Miami going to eight and a half so you can, you know, get them to two and a half, but maybe. Um, those those are the, you know, the ones that I would look at. But, yeah, I mean, the Steelers do play close games, and they, they are – you know, you would think they can cover seven and a half versus the Colts. So I don't hate that one at all. Got but it. So it's – And it sounds like if we were looking for a, a- – standard two-teamer here. The ship does seem to have sailed on Miami. They were in teaser territory until uh-huh. this afternoon. Now, nine and a half across the board, even seeing a 10 at Chris. So, That's ship has a- probably sailed for the Dolphins, but mm-hmm. if you're interested in New Orleans, sound to pick them, and it sounded like the Chiefs minus two at New England, if you had to lock in something right now, it sounds like that would be the look. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but I also caught you on a, a couple of process-driven points that sounded really astute. First off, typically not looking to play teasers until much closer to kickoff. And I've talked about that from time to time on this show. So I think listeners have heard me give my point of view on that angle, but I'd love to turn it over to you to elaborate a bit on why you try to time the teaser market closer to kickoff versus a lot of other bet types where people are encouraged to get down earlier rather than later. Yeah, of course. Um, well, um, at least in the end, towards the end of the season, I look to do more on Sunday in the first few weeks, I actually do even tease sometimes Monday uh, because if there's a t- if there's a team or Monday or Tuesday, if there's a team that I like think like, hey, this is going to get out of like out of range or whatever or some other reason, uh, then I will do it on Monday. But well, the Chargers just scored, by the way. <laughs> All right. Signs of life. Don't um, call it a comeback. No, exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, forgot my point, but you'll sometimes early in the season tease, uh, if you think a number is going to get away even on a Monday. 
I, I feel like there's more injury, you know, kind of questions and uh, things lingering. Like I didn't even know until, you know, an hour or two before the game, whenever it was tweeted about Josh Jacobs. And there's just a lot more things in the air, in my opinion, uh, whether uh, this, at this time of year to just wait, um, people are, you know, a lot more injuries, a lot more reasons to sit people, you know, some teams are out of it and like, you know, they're not going to play a guy who's maybe week two, that same injury he plays. So I definitely think waiting at this time of year for me, maybe I'm wrong is, is what I like to do, but I could be wrong. I think, I think in a nutshell, my thought is that teasers are inherently a bet against variance. If you're getting six Mm -hmm. points in either direction of the point spread, you want to be betting into as efficient of a point spread as possible. And later in the week, market efficiency tends to be higher, higher limits, more liquidity. And to your point, if there are injury or weather unknowns, that tends to get cleared up. So I would say to your point, if there's a game on Monday where there's a team that's laying eight, eight and a half, and they're getting steamed up toward double digits. Yeah. It tees down through the three while you still can and don't wait too long. But when in doubt, I think teasers are one market where it often doesn't hurt to wait a little bit and try to capture as much market efficiency and let that be your friend. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of weather, I mean, you're, you you can this time of year, you know, bet on Monday, Tuesday, uh, you know, some unders on the weather. And, and by Wednesday, Thursday, they there's, you know, reports of it not being as bad as people thought. Like you saw that with Chicago last week where it went from like mm-hmm. 45 to 40 and then, you know, you would have middled it. Uh, so there's, there's definitely middle opportunities for weather reports at this time of year too. So I feel like that is where I would go on Monday and Tuesday versus trying to tease, you know, and uh, teasers are really not a, a week deciding type of thing for me. So I'm not spending that much time thinking about it, I guess. All right. Well, I know you don't spend too much time thinking about it, but I will have you think about it for another moment here because I also heard you mention when it comes to Pittsburgh Indy, that total may be being a bit elevated for your liking. And for the longest time, my thought process on teasers would be that low totals are great because if there are fewer points scored in a game, you're still getting the same six points in a teaser. So that can really magnify the relative value of those six points that you're getting. And a few weeks ago, I had a really intriguing back and forth with a lot of people who I really respect. And and there were arguments kind of to be made for both sides, just questioning how much totals really mattered in the teaser market. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks because I just figured, how would it not matter if you can tease a game totaled in the mid 30s relative to something in the low to mid 50s? And I was able to check in with Rufus Peabody, whose numbers I will trust uh, about as much as anybody, the way he models things. And his general takeaway was that low totals are beneficial, but perhaps not as beneficial as some people make them out to be. I I don't want to put too many words in his mouth, but my takeaway from interacting with him on this topic was that it's a factor, but it's not necessarily the be all end all. And then Las Vegas, Chris, whose approach I respect so much because he can get so creative and think outside the box to capture edges that kind of break all the rules, but have served him very well for a long period of time. He not just giving his opinion, but he has data going Mm -hmm. back several years, trying to get the biggest possible sample size, but within the current NFL landscape, we don't want to go back 20 years to a totally different scoring environment. So Mm -hmm. so trying to toe that balance, he gave some data that indicated that games with higher totals, for whatever reason, seem to be doing as well, if not better than games with lower totals when it came to value on teaser legs. So a nudge in one direction from Rufus, a nudge from Las Vegas, Chris in another direction. I just kind of came out of it thinking, 
okay, yeah, all else equal, an extremely low total, right. sign me up, and that's going to be a factor. But otherwise, if there's a game that's 39 and another game that's 44, mm -hmm. maybe I'm not going to use that as a significant tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah. So what do you make of totals when it comes to teasers? Yeah, I mean, a higher total, you have both teams expected to score. I mean, that's the thing about the the Patriots uh, this week. If, you, if you, you know, you're teasing the – I guess the Chiefs would be the team you tease, but like, are the Patriots really going to score that much? Like, so it's not that scary, you know, kind of thing. If you were to tease that one, uh, I just feel like, you know, I got this conversation during the end of the college football season with Iowa games. Um, it was Iowa and Nebraska and the total was like, I don't remember 24. Was it 26 and a half? Yeah. And like, 20, maybe 24, not, 24 and a half. Yeah. I was like, how am I not teasing Iowa? in everything this week. Like that is actually, I, I ended up with a lot of money and they, you know, cause the Cardinal rule is never tease college football. That's what you're told. Like, that's like a rule. And like, you make fun of, it's like basketball. Not, I mean, I don't think it's as bad. Teasing basketball has got to be terrible, but you know, you're told to like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I was like, this can't, this has to be good. Like there's just no way. Especially because the spread was like plus one and a half. So you could go up through the key numbers with that yeah. historically low total. You could, you can do and how it work out <laughs> you look for, and you have a total of 24. Like I even, I think I even teased the total to, to, uh, at one day, like to like, to like 16 or 17. Um, and yeah, was I, this the first, I teased Iowa games twice, uh, in recent weeks as well. And the first time I did it, it might've been the Nebraska game. Uh, if there was a total of 24 and a half, I think they lost like 20 to nothing. Uh, or maybe that was Rutgers. I think that was Iowa Rutgers. It backfired on me, and then yeah. in Nebraska, it, it worked out okay. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that is a thing when you do have a total of twenty three. Like you do have a chance of a team scoring literally nothing. Um, so, but they're not teams that like go for it on fourth down, where you're like looking at like, hey, Iowa's gonna be crazy and go for it. Like there was a team that did that on for the like, uh, second half of it. I think it might even I forgot who it was, but. It was a college team, and every like they would get, uh, they would go for them in the second half, like every time, and 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 you would have to like uh, if you bet against them or on them, like dodge them going for it on fourth down in their own thirty, like right out of halftime. Um, but Iowa's just not that team, so I think you're fine. Yeah, and I will shift us back into the NFL for a moment and note first off a correction. I think I referred to Chiefs Patriots as the Sunday night game. It's looking like that's not the case anymore because why would we want to put New England in that spotlight or this current version of the Chiefs offense for that matter? Um, so not Sunday night, but still taking place on Sunday. Mm -hmm. If it seems like you're looking toward New Orleans and Kansas City, I'm with you on Kansas City. And I have identified Pittsburgh as the other leg that yeah. I like this week. And to me, it comes down to evenly matched teams. I know the Steelers offense doesn't bring a whole lot to the table, but the Colts defense doesn't either. That's been a pretty porous unit of late. No surprise to me if the Steelers win outright. So in a teaser, just asking them to keep it within seven. Again, nothing's a lock. We tried teasing the Lions on Thanksgiving, <laughs> the Jags against the yeah. Bengals on Monday Night Football the week after that. Things that seem too good to be true might turn out to be too good yeah. to be true. So manage your bankroll accordingly, especially with Kansas City being a road favorite. That always introduces a little bit more variance to the equation as well. But in my case, I, I hear you on Kansas City, and I'll go ahead and pair them with Pittsburgh. Hopefully not too off-putting to your initial look to maybe rule the Steelers out. And I'm on New England, so I'm, I, I got 10.5 minus 120. Um, but it is like scary. It's like, you know, how are they going to score? And, but I, I, I mean, yeah, the chiefs are not quite as good as they were last year. They do have issues and they especially have issues second half. So 
we will see. Yeah, and one more note regarding the Kansas City teaser leg. I will say a hat tip to Las Vegas Chris once again. He often talks about finding a home for a teaser or parlay option he likes if it becomes an orphan line, to use his words. And I think of that in the sense of Pittsburgh playing on Saturday. If the Steelers don't cover, I wouldn't mind playing Dallas in a teaser, taking the Cowboys up to plus eight with Kansas City minus one and a half. And to your point, laying the teaser portion with Kansas City, but taking New England plus 10 and a half, it can seem counterintuitive to be on one team against a spread and on another team on a teaser in the same game. Often it might be trying to mm -hmm. thread the needle, yeah. but in this case, I don't think it's a horrible idea in the Bills Cowboys game. I don't think that liking Buffalo against the spread and seeing some value in Dallas to keep this a once war game are necessarily mutually exclusive. It opens up a pretty wide middle opportunity at that so I wouldn't do it just for a pure middle or arbitrage angle, but I don't mind the fact that you could possibly go 2-0. You can't go 0-2. So mm -hmm. I can't fault the look of incorporating Dallas if somebody sees value there. And possibly as well, maybe oh. adding Dallas in a three-team teaser with Pittsburgh and Kansas City at plus 160 or better. Am I missing more fireworks in Las Vegas? No. But I was saying you can, you can go 0-2 if the second leg loses. Oh, oh, yes. Thank you. Good. Yes. Good clarification. You can't go own two within the same game, but with yeah. a teaser, it takes two to tango. So thank you. Yeah. Very yeah. good correction there. I have done own two plenty of times to know you can always go own two. <laughs> yeah. That's some oftentimes with hedging. Um, a hedge is not always a hedge. I have a colleague who bet the Heisman Trophy market. He got a really good number on, I think he had a good number on Bo Nicks early in the yeah. season. And then right before Oregon played Washington, he took Michael Penix as yeah. kind of a hedge. Yeah. And, and those were great bets to have Bo Nix and Michael Penix both at astronomically high payouts going into conference championship weekend. Great portfolio. Yeah. And of course, you can go 0-2 at the same time. So worth keeping in mind that what feels like a hedge isn't always a bulletproof hedge. So thank you for putting me in my place with that comment. And <laughs> Moving on from teasers, Joey, we can get into some props. I know NBA props is really up your alley, but when it comes to the NFL, anything in the prop betting marketplace that draws any of your interest on this week 15 slate? No, uh, you know, we can talk props in general. I think like, you know, there's a great, if you're going to do props, like for NFL is tough. I think NFL is the first domino that fell when it comes to after legalization. You because you know I remember back ten you know five ten years ago, props you know you could just blindly take unders and you you're gonna you're gonna pretty much cruise on on an NFL Sunday. But you know when when DraftKings came and all those places came and started releasing props on uh, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're you're looking at you know a really tough market and yeah, it's just to me it's just too tough. I don't know. I don't know who's winning in NFL props. I don't, I'm sure there's tons of people. I, I just, no, it just hasn't been that much of a focus to me at all. Um, but yeah, besides prop builder, uh, which is a different day, uh, time. <laughs> all right. Maybe that's, that's a good conversation. We can tap into perhaps at some point, uh, during the offices and they're leading up to the following, but I'll, I'll note to your point unders used to be a, a pretty reliable cash cow. I know that it's not just good to do that blindly anymore. I will say that I've had some pretty good success this season and in years past with guys like Hitman or Ed yeah. Bang in certain markets with what he's doing over at the power rank with quarterback interceptions. I think there has been 
a lot of opportunity to identify people who might not do everything in the prop market, but if they can really specialize in one area, kind of like in college basketball, the best advice is often just pick a random conference and really learn a lot of teams that not everybody's focusing on so that when everybody's zoned in on Duke and UNC and Kansas and Kentucky, mm. you can just pull schools that nobody's ever heard of uh, out of your back pocket and really know them like the back of your hand. So I, I yeah. think that there's value in that sense in the prop market, but go ahead and, and weigh yeah. in on that from more of a process standpoint. I'll just say from a process standpoint, I would say if you do want to bet NFL props and you are someone that has, let's say like one to three accounts, then then just get to know your specific site or account be and and then attack what you say attack one prop like let's say um let's say you have uh buckeye you might want to attack only um receiving yards that might you know they might be you know pretty weak and have some off-market stuff every week on receiving yards so maybe maybe you have uh bovada and i mean you have plenty of options to attack them so I would say based on what site you have, just get to know where they might be weakest and and just and figure and, and, and go there. Maybe go, maybe just be an off-market prop better. I, I love that. And it's a great counter to or compliment perhaps to my point about trying to find people who excel in certain areas. Yeah. Also try to find books that are weak in certain areas. Sure. And some of the best bets that I've ever made, and it's been trying to learn from professionals such as yourself, will be not necessarily logging into an account knowing what I want to bet, uh -huh. but just opening every tab, checking the whole menu and, and really trying to take advantage of a broad attack surface. And if you can just identify one or two weaknesses, uh, I might know that this isn't a number that I want to bet at every other book, but if one's sticking out like a sore thumb, if somebody's off market and it's not off market from a book that I consider to be a market maker, then that can be of immense value, even if there's not much of a handicap behind it. Yeah. And, and, and just be nice to people who are good at certain books too. Like if you have a friend who just crushes Bavada and he will find every off market line at Bavada, you know, maybe share some of, you know, the site that you're good at and in exchange, he'll end up texting you, Hey man, did you know, play this at Bovada tonight? Like, I'm, I don't know if you saw it and I'll be like, no, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to look. So I think that's like a big thing when it comes to uh, props too, is just being like someone who's not greedy and selfish mm. because I see so many young guys, they come up and they, they, they'll text me, Hey man, I got a great play. Uh, can, what can you get me? And I'll be like, I don't know what's the play. And they'll just be like, well, can you get me a thousand dollars? And I'll be like, I have no idea. I don't know what the play is. And they'll be like, it's some random bet on Bovada for that. And I'll look, it's like, dude, they're taking a hundred dollars. I'm not getting you a thousand. But like, if <laughs> instead just were like, Hey, just sent me the play and be like, Hey, go for it. I would then, you know, share with them some good stuff. So I think, you know, just being someone who shares, you know, stuff like that for free is invaluable in this space. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this to the table because whether or not you did feel conviction on a certain prop this week, even if you had one that you loved and it won no sweat, I think this type of approach that you're sharing will give people so much value beyond the scope of whatever happens just this week in the NFL. So on that note, I'm not going to be able to top the way that you just spoke to props, but I will speak to one specifically and maybe see what you think here. I'm looking at Jake Browning passing yards under 243 and a half. Uh, again, we've identified unders used to be something you could almost bet blind and get away with profitably. Not so much the case anymore. But what I like about this, even though I want to give credit where it's due, Browning, I think, has exceeded all reasonable expectations since stepping in for Cincinnati after the Joe Burrow injury. I think there's an interesting wrinkle this week. 
going up against a really aggressive and nuanced Brian Flores defense. That to me represents a major step up in class from what Browning has faced against the Colts and the Jags the last couple of weeks. And beyond the test of Browning's physical ability, I think Flores and the Vikings could really test his mental ability to process a complex defensive scheme. One more thing, looking at it more from a market-driven standpoint, flat minus 115 VIG is widely available at this number, Browning Mm -hmm. under 243 and a half. And I see that a book like Caesars is juiced heavily to the under and From my understanding, they're regarded as a fairly sharp book in this market because they're willing to take a bet. Some of the sharper players I know within the regulated market prefer to go to books like Caesars for that reason. So that gives me a bit more confidence. It's it's almost like seeing the Circa or or Chris lean in bigger NFL markets. I would say all things considered, I'm down for Browning under 243 and a half passing yards. Probably a bit of wiggle room. I would play it to 240 and a half. Any thoughts, Joey, on this Jake Browning prop? Yeah, I I stay away from passing yards props. I think that it's very correlated to almost, you know, taking Browning under is pretty correlated in some ways to taking the Bengals to win. Um, and, you know, you, you've, you, you're dead if the Bengals get down. So even if Browning, you know, starts off bad and the defense, you know, they, they get down, you know, 14 and they're passing every play in the fourth quarter and, and, you know, you're dead, which is, you know, part of the prop, but I do look sometimes for those to look more at uh, completions or attempts and, mm. and, uh, and go from there. But yeah, passing yards is one of the ones I stay away from. And if you do think he's going to go under yards, I would look more at the receivers. Um, you know, I know he's going to go into chase, you know, nonstop. So I would look at Boyd uh, and I would look at Boyd's longest, uh, reception under i'm gonna see if i can pull that up quickly in real time i love the way that you just outlined this without me having told you anything in advance tyler boyd long reception this is 18 and a half but i have no idea yeah that's that's a a guess i wish was accurate i'm seeing 15 and a half pretty much painted so um might be a little bit late to the party there but oh, that's okay. It was last week around that. I know it lost, but um, yeah, I would look. I would look at you know some some guys that he's not targeting as much. Um, and I just I also worry like, you know, it's like a Purdy thing where he can throw the ball four yards to Chase and Chase just goes sixty yards. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean the reasons that you gave were great, and 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 it's probably a bad matchup for them. But I would if you do think that I would look to go against the Bengals. Uh, you know, against the spread or, uh, you know, something else. So that, that's why passing yards is never that much of like a something that I really look, you know, bet I, I would look at the receivers. I really appreciate that context because something that I, I think I might recall having said already early on in this conversation, but really my mantra, our biggest edge is betters is the option to pick and choose our spots, whereas books pretty much have to post a line for every game and oftentimes many things within any given game. So that kind of process-driven insight that you just shared, I'm going to really take that and run with it moving forward. Maybe not unload on Browning under and look to get down at other angles that could follow a similar handicap. No, do what you want, of course. But I think I, I do think that is true with a lot of people is like they'll have these like I'll talk to my friends and they'll say, uh, you know, this team is going to kill the other team. You know, the Raiders are going to kill the Chargers. So that so I took over 35. I'll hear that all the time. And then I'll, and they'll be like, well, both teams are going to score stuff like that. And then, you know, it, it 
the, the Raiders will win, but it'll go under things like that. Um, obviously not tonight, but so I think like, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes you have the right pick in your head, you just end up with something different. Um, so just keep it simple and, and you're probably going to be okay. And I'll go back to Billy Walters's book, One More Time Gambler, because I believe it's on the back cover, an endorsement by Roxy Roxborough. And if uh-huh. I'm quoting correctly, the saying was, is Billy Walters the best handicapper of all time? Maybe. Is he the best better of all time? Absolutely. Something <laughs> to that effect where it's, it's one thing to know how to bet. It's one thing to know how to handicap. If push comes to shove, it's probably much better to know how to bet because some people who know everything about a team, all the players' names and stats, can't necessarily turn that into profitable sports betting. But if you're a really good handicapper, oftentimes it's knowing how to marry the right handicap with the right mm-hmm. betting selections. Oh, totally. I'm not a good handicapper at all, but a great better. And um, I, I come away reading that book, not that he's a great better. I, that's the weird thing. I think, you know, maybe he was like, I, I, I come away from that book reading that he's a great golfer and got bailed out a lot and had nice friends and somehow ended up with hundreds of millions of dollars. There's a lot of pages missing. Um, I just feel like that book is leaves something to the ear and he has, uh, I guess this is like a secret or what, but uh, hopefully I don't get in too much trouble for sharing this, but he has been shopping this book around to every uh, studio and it is not getting much love. <laughs> so Okay. Well, we that's, uh, again. He, I think he wrote this with the intention of it becoming a movie and it's not working out for now. All right. So I think you're telling me that while Billy Walters was a star at Bet Bash 3, we can look forward to seeing you at his table for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony come Bet Bash 4 next summer. I would love that. Oh, I have nothing but respect, obviously, for him. But it's just there's pages missing in that book where it's like he obviously didn't want to share everything. And I just feel like he wanted to highlight some things that I don't necessarily need to read. Um, but, you know, I. I have nothing but respect. I mean, any you make you however you make your money from betting, it doesn't matter if it's your picks or someone else's picks or anything. If you can figure out how to a win, if you find a winner and you can make millions of dollars from them, you're great better. That's the truth. All right. Well, how's this for a transition? Speaking of looking to make money from somebody else's picks, this is the time of the show where I'd like to give the audience a weekly reminder that this season I'm partnering in an affiliate capacity with the team over at Right Angle Sports. And I think they've got something for everyone from their NFL offerings to college basketball, where they've really got an unparalleled track record of success to college football with a bowl service now being available. If you're interested in trying them out, no obligation whatsoever, but you can support this show by supporting Right Angle Sports. A custom link I've built to check that out is tinyurl.com slash picks. And from there, I'll run down a rapid fire week 15 run through for the props and hops NFL portfolio usually starts with sides, but Joey kicked us off with a total Tampa Bay Green Bay under 42 and a half. I'm in on Buffalo minus two hosting Dallas. As far as teasers go, seems like a lean for you, Joey, on New Orleans pick them against the Giants paired with Kansas City minus two at New England. And I'm going to be with you on Kansas City. I will pair the Chiefs with Pittsburgh up to plus seven and a half at Indianapolis. And then on props, nothing official from Joey this week, but a boatload of evergreen, invaluable insight. Way better than any one pick can ever do for most of the audience here. 
and I will merely go with one pick on the week 15 slate, Jake Browning under 243 and a half passing yards. Now, Joey, I know we just delved into NFL picks at much deeper detail than you typically care to speak to. So I appreciate everything you brought to the table there, both with picks and with a lot of the process driven insight. Now I'd like to really get into your wheelhouse because I know the NBA is where you tend to really excel. So I'd love it if you could take a moment to speak to your NBA betting approach and perhaps any advice that you could offer to this audience to look to benefit from that approach. Yeah, sure. I'm without diving like too much into, you know, me or NBA or anything. I, I just think like, you know, the NBA is, gives you so many opportunities, you know, you, you, you have, you know, the lines come out in the morning and the day and, and you only have one day to, you know, to do it. So you don't have, it's not like a black Friday feel where like you're betting it, you know, Saturday and Sunday and all the good deals are gone, which is how I feel with the NFL so many times. Um, so you, it comes down the day, it comes this. And then I think, you know, when you talked about specializing in certain things, like, you know, this year I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, three pointers you know, players to make three pointers and, and it can be as easy as, you know, this guy is really not taking any three pointers, you know, maybe there was an injury uh, lineup change and, you know, with the new lineup, he's just not taking many threes. I, I saw that with uh, Tobias Harris, let's say, um, you know, when they traded for Kelly Oubre, his total, his threes were two and a half every game. I would just take it every game. And, and I just did it. And even at one and a half minus 135, every minus minus one fifty, And then I think it was three weeks of taking every game. Now it's, now it's a uh, half his, 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 uh, his line. So I, he had three the other day, so yeah, last game. So maybe I'll go back to one and a half. Um, but yeah, so I think there's, there's opportunities to just like really find certain things and just, you know, you can bet it over and over and over. Um, and, and don't be afraid to have the exact same portfolio or whatever you want to say every day. Um, and, and you'll pretty much know pretty quickly if you're right by, if that bet's still around in like oh, 10 days, you're probably not onto something. And if you are right and, and something like Tobias Harris, where it's, you know, they adjusted to half a three, then, then you're probably onto something and find another one and, and keep doing that. So I think that's the easiest way to go about NBA. And for somebody catching this conversation who wants to give that a go, when you mention a line starting at one and a half over mm -hmm. under, and then the juice can vary, but ultimately we tend to have a decent idea. I think most of us about, okay, what does it mean if the number stays the same, but the juice moves by five, 10, 20 cents, whatever it may be. Right. When a number changes on a prop like that from one and a half to a half, that's much different than an NFL total moving a point from 43 and a half to 42 and a half. So how much would you say it's worth if somebody's looking at NBA three pointers, like you found good success with this year, mm -hmm. if the numbers, let's say over under one and a half at a flat minus 115, what would the equivalent juice need to be to give you comparable value? If the line is down to a half from one and a half. If it's, I mean, if, it, if he's depending on who it is, uh, but if his, if his props one and a half minus 115 his his half prop would probably be uh, minus 225 is my guess okay, minus so massive difference there yeah maybe a massive difference um yeah maybe even minus 270 sometimes but yeah it, it should be it should, it's a big difference um i don't want to say like the word key number but like yeah one three can can often be you know yeah. I mean, if we're talking the difference between one and a half and half over under, then one is pretty much the only key number that matters. Yeah. So yeah, makes yeah. sense to to keep that in mind from a pricing standpoint as well. 
in the end, you're looking at like, let's say a guy who takes, you know, three threes, maybe he's a 30% three point shooter, you know, odds are he's going to make one uh, while, you know, he takes three, he's not a 66 you know percent three point shooter. So making two is, you know, probably not going to happen. So if you're getting under minus 115 and he's going to take three, you should take it. All right. So plenty of good NBA insight to go along with a lot of NFL talk. Joey, I would also like to touch on a topic you mentioned. You've got some thoughts on the state of gambling from more of a macro level, I'll assume. But what's your point of view there? Any thoughts that you would care to share for the purposes of this conversation? Yeah. I mean, do you have a, do you have a specific question? Uh, just, I think I'll tee you up. You had, I think you had mentioned something about the state of gambling wanting to speak to it. So in my head, I would go to um, a lot of the betting you did is probably still available to an extent in a post-PASPA world, especially with both of us being in California. Yeah. Um, but from your standpoint, hearing what you do about the regulated market and looking to also network with people in those jurisdictions and what you can do in other places, um, just yeah, any overall thoughts on how it's been going for you recently? Any thoughts on the general direction that the more broad state of gambling seems to be trending in your eyes? Well, the state of gambling we can talk is what I would what I would like, uh, I guess, to say is, I guess, like gambling Twitter. You know, that's that's where I see so much of it. And uh, I just feel like, you know, people are like obsessed all day with like trying to prove that other people just lose. And it's like it's exhausting and it's like demoralizing. And I feel like if people spent less time just being obsessed with other people and that they lose or that they're not, you know, being transparent and, and everything. And I think that the world would just be a happier place. And, and I feel like that's, you know, that's the whole thing with George. <laughs> that guy is the man. I love George. You, what's are your thoughts? The notebook are we guy. talking? Is this GRP wins? Yeah. The notebook guy, he's inspiring everyone to use a notebook. So I got my, oh, Gotcha. I think my stream might have just frozen for a second there, but I, I got a, a glimpse of you. I think holding a notebook. Yeah, up to the yeah. I've actually I've been a notebook guy forever. I don't know if I have. I got notebooks. Wow. So do you handicap everything pretty much, or, or um, is it bet tracking or handicapping? Is it just done literally by hand? Uh, no. I use I use honestly I use the notebooks. Um uh to write down things about timing because there's you know some bets that i'll make that i don't want to do maybe until like 20 minutes before the game or or i'll just put notes of like hey the clippers game's at you know seven and i'll have you know my, my bets that i want to put for that and i'll just you know make sure that i get them in before uh you know maybe i using up all the credit on certain sites and it'll be free by 6.30 when the 4 o'clock game's in. So I'll just have a note, like Clippers games at 7, you know, go back in there and bet hard and under <laughs> threes. I've been doing and that all there, Yeah, and to that end, is there any thought process behind using a notebook versus something like maybe the Notes app in a phone or, or something on a computer? Is there anything that you find that you get out of using a notebook? It might just be a subconscious thought and there's nothing to it. Or is there something where you find that actually writing something down physically in a notebook does something for you that gives you maybe a bit more of an edge. Yeah. I think it's just an organizational thing. I think, you know, someone asked like, how do you stay organized? And I think that's, you know, I guess notebooks are an attempt. It's just very hard. I, with my type of personality, I have ADD and all that. And, uh, notebooks just like, you know, write, write. And, and, uh, it helps me. Everyone's different. 
Yeah, well, it seems to be working well for you. So um, I'm glad that you're not alone as far as that trend seems to be going That's across wrong. gambling Twitter. Well, Joey, I also want to make sure that we can weave in some pillars of the show here before we get back into a few more questions via Twitter. Let's get into the Malinsky Minute here. And this week, I'd like to turn the attention to Andre Brower, who is an actor known by many as Captain Raymond Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And sadly, he died on Monday after a brief illness. He was only 61 years old. And I see some parallels to Dave in -hmm. the sense that this was a pretty surprising, if not sudden passing. Feels like at age 61, he was gone far too soon. And a bit of a personal connection for fans of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Captain Holt was, I think, kind of a partner and a mentor, as well as a friend and father figure to Jake Peralta, who is Andy Samberg's character. And I feel like Jake's relationship with Holt on that show reminds me so much of the relationship that I had with Dave in a few ways. And Joey, I wanted to bring this up here because you were the first person I saw on Twitter who posted something about Brower's passing, referring to him, of course, as Captain Holt. So in what ways did that news that we sadly got earlier this week strike a chord with you? Um. Yeah, any any time that I see, you know, a mysterious illness or brief illness, you know, I I uh, I'm always, you know, intrigued to find out, you know, what's the reasoning. And my first inclination is, you know, when something's so brief is, you know, lung cancer, um, just because I know people myself who had very quick episodes, and it's uh, really sad. And and that is what he had. Um, so, you know, he's just a character that I felt like connected to for, you know, various reasons. He was like a fatherly figure and, uh, you know, just a nice guy. And maybe he's not in real life. I can't speak to that, but it's just his character was a very warm and, and nice, nice man. And by all accounts that we've gotten over the past couple of days, it it seems like people have echoed a lot of those characteristics in terms of the man that he was off Mm -hmm. camera as well. So I I would like to try to also weave in something on a bit of a brighter note with a a pretty heavy topic, but I appreciate the perspective you're sharing here. On a lighter note here, any favorite Captain Holt moment from Brooklyn Nine-Nine that comes to mind first when I ask you that question? That's a good one. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the greatest airplane show. It's like mm. you you just, you're on a plane, you you usually go in three hours and boom, six episodes of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And uh, I just, I, I think him and him and Jake Peralta's just dynamic. There's no specific thing, but they have such a good dynamic. It's almost like uh, uh the um everyone that's always sunny in Philadelphia, the, mm. the little guy and uh in and D. But it's just like there's they're, they're a great onset uh cast, the whole show. And he really weaves it together by being that like central figure who's you know, all the pranks and all that he's in the middle of. And it's hard to pick out one, but I don't know. <laughs> I hear you on the ensemble there. It's great that he was a straight man, but he had plenty of different mm-hmm. dimensions to what he could do himself as well. I'll say my first thought when when I got this news was going back to the Beach House episode. This was season two, episode 12 of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And the premise of this one is that Jake ruins a detective's only getaway by inviting Captain Holt. 
And for most of the episode, Holt is just raining on the detective's parade. He wants no jets on in the hot tub. He wants to go on an unbearably long walk on the beach in the Northeast in the wintertime. And by the end of the episode, spoiler alert, Holt becomes the life of the party. And kind of tying that in with Dave here, I feel like both of these characters, Dave Malinsky and Captain Holt, capable of being the most sophisticated and at the same time, the most relatable person in a room. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there were times, especially when I knew Dave and what I picked up on from some of the Speech House episode in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there are times where you would know somebody was levels above you in some ways, but they could make you feel like you were right there at their level. And I just think that's such a special skill set that I really appreciated watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine and I, I really see a connection to Dave. So um, some tough news this week, but I think a, a very worthy use of the Malinsky Minute with a fellow fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, totally. Uh, I just, I just like, you know, seeing that age is just ever, the older I get and you're my age, it's just like, man, that's not, that's, that's young. <laughs> yeah. I want to be hopefully enjoying an early retirement by that point, And even so wouldn't be all that far into it. No. And that's, that's a good question for that. This is like, that's the question I ask everyone who bets. I was like, what, what, what age do you stop? <laughs> and, and mine's 40. So. Oh, all right. Well, well, the clock's ticking. I'll let you get back to it pretty soon here. Another pillar of the show to weave in Joey, the hops. And for this one, I'll keep it pretty broad. Are there any favorite seasonal releases that you tend to anticipate this time of year or just any general holiday drinking traditions that you find yourself enjoying these days? Not a big drinker. Is that okay to say on this show? Absolutely. We did go in on Beer Bash together at TM. Shout out Richard Palma. Uh, Also, we organized that with Porter. Spanky, thank you so much for showing up. We'll hopefully resurrect that at some point this coming off season. Um, but I did see you there, so I thought the hops might be fair game. But that yeah, said, there, uh, there's not really a wrong time or place for any drink. Or if somebody doesn't drink, that's perfectly yeah. okay as well. You'll probably outlive us all. I think this season I'm drinking sake. Hmm. Any the... like any sort of like sake sushi pairings or anything like that, or do you tend to enjoy it more by itself? Just by itself, with dinner, with anything. I think that's the go-to this maybe at a party i think that's i think that's the the seasonal drink it's cold outside hot sake you can go cold sake so one follow-up on that would be i am admittedly not a sake connoisseur but i have a really good friend who's into it and every time we have dinner together i i get to expose myself to a few more options when i first had sake my thought was okay this is like a warm kind of buttery alcohol and then more recently, I've been exposed to maybe it's it's colder versions, but they could be really fruit forward or some are a little bit sweeter, some are a little bit more bitter. So there there is a lot of variety to it. Is there anything within the realm of sake that you tend to gravitate toward or anything about sake overall that would bring it to the forefront when you're thinking of a time of year like this and why that would be your go to? I think I think for the most part, I could be wrong. But the most part, you want to do cold. Hot is a little we're too old for hot. I think is where it's going <laughs> to. Uh, yeah, so cold, not fruit, just hot, like a nice, cold, chilled sake. All right, that sounds good because I will say from my limited firsthand experience, the colder ones I found to be much more palatable as well. That's That makes sense. All right, well, well, maybe next time if we resurrect Beer Bash, we can also see if we can make sake part of the equation 
and Joey, before we completely wrap things up, wanted to bookend the conversation with a few more Twitter questions that came in earlier today. Abnormally distributed, who had weighed in on the Circus Survivor chopping conversation, said he has more of a real question here. How much time do you spend adjusting European <laughs> basketball leagues to bet on EuroLeague since going for 2010 and 10 in Spain is different than going for 2010 and 10 in Germany? And why does adjusting work for every league except Belgrade? So a lot to unpack there. I guess to try to distill it down for this conversation, any context, Joey, on your approach to European national leagues as well as EuroLeague betting? That's that's tough, man. That's really tough. It is is interesting. Like, you know, these players, these these teams are playing, they play different lineups, you know. I I don't know if soccer does that too, but, you know, you'll you'll play a domestic league in Spain and – Real Madrid plays one guy 20 minutes and then they'll play EuroLeague two days later and he'll play five, six minutes. So it is definitely, you know, I think fascinating. And, and, and if you have time, I think if you're smart, you can probably, I don't think you can beat EuroLeague, but you can beat the smaller leagues. All right. We will leave it there with that conversation. A nice tip to maybe go a little beneath the surface of EuroLeague more broadly. Another question we have, Maybe you touched on this earlier with all those notebooks, courtesy of Go Pepper. How do you track all your bets, and what would you say is the best way to do so at a large scale? You got to be good at Excel, or find someone who can do it for you. I don't think you necessarily need to to be like an expert tracker. Like, I don't think you need like sophisticated software. Uh, if you do, that's great. Um, but I think you should have a general feel for, you know, getting rid of something fast that's not winning. You know, if you're losing, you know, every NFL total, you know, ditch NFL totals. Um, so tracking in that regard, I think, is not that important. But, yeah, I mean, your bank account's the best tracker, I've always said. <laughs> hmm. Wise words. I like that. We'll move on then to another question from Nickelbag. How do you work with partners when you're unavailable, on vacation, et cetera? Does someone jump in and do your work, or do you just tell everybody you're not available then and don't bet? And that's different. I mean, if you are someone, like if I'm filling in plays for you and and, and I'm on vacation, the time that maybe, you know, I can, uh, depending on our relationship, it's totally relationship dependent. Maybe we have something where, you send me the plays and and I have, you know, six hours to get them in and, you know, we'll work it through like time difference, but maybe it's like one of those things, like if you're moving for RAS, you know, those things, the plays are going to be gone if you're not at your phone for five minutes. So I think every, every it's, it's so different based on it, but I mean, don't be like uh, ashamed to say you're out of town and going to take a week off if that's what you want. Yeah, so I guess overall, the way I interpreted this question, it seems like around the clock, 365 days a year, there is something you could be doing with a betting opportunity based on events taking place somewhere in the world. Yeah. So when it comes to boundaries and maybe unplugging, how, how do you approach trying to have some healthy boundaries while at the same time making the most you can out of edges available between today and the day that you turn 40 and hopefully get off to a nice early retirement? Uh yeah, I mean every vacation is different too. So like I went to Italy and France last year, and and I don't and I you know I I didn't bet that much, but it was also like when was it July? So it's like baseball going on and 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 that stuff, and and it's not that you know you can get you can get plays in and just not be you know you know checking your checking the scores and those things. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting the question right, but uh, yeah, if you want to unwind, take a week off. If you don't want to unwind, you know, play on vacation. I think that's just like we've said with other topics throughout the course of this conversation, it can be a bit of a case by case basis. So it's totally cool if there's not a blanket rule for whether it's a type of betting yeah. or how to approach vacation or, or quasi off time over the yeah. course of the year. Totally. And, and I, and sometimes like based on your relationship, you know, like when you're dealing with someone like all the time, you know, all the time, like you, you have a, you know, an intimate relationship and, and some, some, sometimes you're just like, you want them to miss you and like value you and, mm -hmm they're sending you plays and, and you're just like, Hey, I'm taking the week off. And, you know, in the back of my head, I might be like, Hey, they're going to really, you know, appreciate me and miss me after this week. Cause they'll see, they can barely get any money on what they wanted. So I'm going to make them miss me while like maybe someone else is a little different and I'll still do the place for him. So, you know, feel it out, whatever works, you know, it's so like a marriage, every relationship's different. All right. Well, it's like you're leading me to the final question here by mentioning marriage, Joey. We saved the hardest hitting question for last, courtesy of Mike Vivian, F. Mary Kill, Joey Isaacs, Joey Tunes, Joey Kanish. What do you got? I actually talk to all of them almost every day. Uh, what is it? Fuck, Mary Kill. Yeah, that's that's what it says. Yeah, F. Mary Kill, Joey Isaacs, Joey Tunes, Joey Kanish. I would marry Nish. I think we 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 have good luck together. We win we win together. Uh, me and Tunes not as good of luck. I will kill him. But does that leave? Right. I guess that leaves to myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll leave that to the imagination of the audience, or we can just uh, move on on that. Like note, all, both, both are great guys. I have nothing, nothing but top, top, top things to say about them in all regards. All right, well, Joey, I, I think that after this conversation, all the audience will only have top things to say about the insight that you bring to the table as well. One we'll final note to the listeners here, a quick ask that for those still tuned in with us going well over an hour this week, hopefully that's an indication that you're really liking the show. So on YouTube, if you could like this video, on Twitter, if you could like the post that houses this video, and for those of you listening in podcast form, if you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be greatly appreciated. And last but not least, however you're listening, friendly reminder, you can support the show by supporting Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can use to do so, tinyurl.com slash picks. All right, Joey, great to connect with you again tonight. Would encourage everybody to follow you on Twitter at Joey Isaacs. And from betting to things well beyond the betting boards, thank you so much for your time and insight this evening. Thank you. Uh, we'll have to get lunch soon. Yeah, absolutely. We will make that happen in short order here. We'll take that offline. And one more thing before we sign off, I want to thank everybody who's watching and listening to this conversation. Appreciate your time as well. Enjoy week 15 in the NFL. And best of luck with your bets this weekend. We got a guest star. Oh, are we are we seeing August as we sign off here? He doesn't really want to, but yes, he is saying bye-bye. All <laughs> right, August. Good to see you. Hope to catch you in person soon. Love All the right. video appearance. Bye-bye. You're not All right. Good. See ya. Bye.